1: Let's go.
3: If not the 12, it ain't safe.
2: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The
1: Score and 670thescore.com and Odyssey Station.
2: Previously on The Lawrence Holmes Show.
1: DeMar DeRozan is out here doing historic things. He's on a stretch of games right now, six straight, with 35 points and shooting 50% from the floor. And he's doing that mostly without three pointers. The only other person to do this at that frequency is Wilt Chamberlain, which allows me to talk about my favorite piece of sports statistical trivia, however you want to deem it, with Wilt. Because it's it's ridiculous. He averaged 50 points in 26 rebounds a game. Think, like Think about if you're a Philadelphia Warriors fan. You know that if you can find the game or if you go to the game, we'll go give you 50 a night. That's not the craziest part of this story. Like, DeMar DeRozan is averaging 38 minutes a game, Will Chamberlain played 48 and a half minutes. He averaged. That means Will Chamberlain played every minute of every game that he played. Make me a bicycle clown. It's pretty amazing. I'm glad that people have jumped on board with the, the Wilt love. There's a lot to do today. Face drop! Welcome in. My name is Lauren Thompson. I'm here with you until two o'clock. We will talk football with Jason Leisure. We'll throw in a little bit of baseball, and I am going to talk, I think, rhetorically about the baseball lockout and how much we should cover the baseball lockout. I I was sitting in in my office yesterday just going, how much of this are we going to do? And the Bulls are now on break because it's all-star time in the NBA, and I'm like, I've got to start thinking of things for us to talk about, and I don't know how much of the lockout stuff I want to do. So, I will work through that on the show today. But when we come back, we are going to talk about the historic things that we are seeing from DeMar DeRozan. We'll talk with the author of Ball Don't Lie, Kevin Cottrell Jr., next here on the score.
0: We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over
1: here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Over the timeline, Matt Thomas, ball game over. Bulls win, Bulls win, Bulls win their fifth in a row. 125-118, and DeMar DeRozan has set and broken Will Chamberlain's record. He is the first player in NBA history to record seven straight games of scoring 35 or more points, averaging 50% or better from the field. That's your future Hall of Fame player, DeMar DeRozan of the Chicago
1: Bulls. Congratulations. Wow. Put him in the Hall of Fame. Now what Chuck said? Put him in all. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He's going. Highlight courtesy of the score, DeMar DeRozan doing it big last night. I got to say, man, I looked on FanDuel and the the over 31 and a half last night. I'm like, yeah, you can mark that down. Five units. Like, yeah, he's going to do that. He's going to get the opportunity to do that. So let's talk about what we've seen from DeMar DeRozan and talk about the Bulls and the Eastern Conference. I'm excited. I've never had a chance to, to talk with Kevin Cottrell, Jr., He's the author of Ball Don't Lie. Like We do like the mutual follow thing on Twitter, and I enjoy some of his basketball thoughts. And like I said to Brandon yesterday, we need to find new voices to talk hoops with us because the Bulls' season is interesting. Kevin joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. <laughs> Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
3: No, thank you for having me, man. Happy to be here.
1: All right, so what made you decide to write a book called Ball Don't Lie?
3: Yeah, man, I've just been able to cover the game for the last 14 years, and, you know, just being around so many uh, retired NBA players, I kind of became that proverbial fly on the wall, so to speak, hearing a lot of their old stories, and and just talking to guys like Chris Weber and Isaiah Thomas and uh, Steve Smith, they just kind of empowered me, like, you know what, you should write a book. It actually wasn't even my idea, it was kind of just sitting around with those guys in green rooms, and uh, that's kind of, you know, that was the origin of it all, so Took me about four years, but we have fun with the conversations and and just, you know, going back in a way back tank.
1: Well, good, because this is a way back player, right? There there must be a lot of comfort in watching DeMar DeRozan and his mid-range game be able to reach the heights that he's reached so far this season.
3: Yeah, and it's it's interesting you say that, because oftentimes you try to, you know, there are guys that say, well, who did this guy remind you of? You hear the Devin Bookers or this player or that player, but... DeMar DeRozan really does remind you of the guy shoes he wears and Kobe and the guy jerseys he's wearing and MJ. His mid-range game, his footwork, I mean, his ability to get to his spots and raise up, you know, at will and score over one, two defenders. It really does just take you back to those those nineties and early two thousand days where the mid-range was king.
1: How did we get here with him? And, and now, I mean, you've been covering the NBA pretty much as long as DeMar has been in the NBA. How do we get here where this yeah. is a player that has been a second team, third team? All NBA player. And when he signed, I think there were a lot of people like, my, that money might be a little too, too hefty for DeMar DeRozan. But so far, through year one of the deal, he's been excellent and an MVP candidate.
3: Yeah, DeMar has been like the most, one of the most consistent players we've seen, you know, in the last 15, 20 years. He kind of is who he is. I think the interesting thing, first, you got to get a management credit for clearing that cap to have that ability. To absorb a guy like DeMar, you know, um, him coming out of San Antonio and people kind of forgot about him. I think that was part of it, you know, being in San Antonio during their down years post Duncan and Kawhi. And then you have a Bulls team that was just ready. They had a point guard in place, and Lonzo and Zach Levine have been, you know, budding. But this was like that veteran guy. You don't normally get the veteran guy like this that can give you 30 a night. It's normally a good pep talk, you know. Um, but I think the Bulls are just in the right place at the right time from a cap situation. They kind of needed each other. DeMar needed a platform to show that he still had it. He was still that all-star guy. And and the Bulls are just kind of ready, to, I think, to make that step. Now, did we see the step being number one seed going in the all-star Probably not, but um, I'm not I'm not as surprised by success. More so, just the level of consistency, despite who's been in the uniform on a night night in and night out. You've
1: been in those green rooms talking about the evolution of the game. Ball don't lie is about the evolution of the game as as those guys are able to see it. We live in an era where it's about using three point shooting as an advantage, and a lot of players are still trying to figure out like kind of where they fit in that. I don't know if if there is a player. Maybe Chris Paul would be a, a, another good name to put on this list. Um, there's a comfort in Demar's game; like he's comfortable in it. Like he doesn't feel it necessary to change the fact that he plays mostly out from mid range. Can can other players take anything from what guys like Demar and Chris Paul do to make them better overall players? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think guys need to learn how to be a star in their role. Like, I mean, if, you're, if your job is just to hit the corner three, then you probably need to be putting that work in. But if that's not something you do and, you know, you're a guy like, let's look at Caruso, right? Like the Chicago fan, uh, Bull fan base, we all love Caruso because of his ability to defend uh, maybe three, four positions on a night-to-night basis and finish above the rim. doesn't have anything to do with his jump shot. The same thing with, with DeMar. I think he's just being comfortable and had enough success in the mid-range and saying, you know what, that's what I'm going to do now. I would like to give DeMar credit. He's got, I think, 34 threes this season. He only made 35 in the previous three combined. So even though he's not, you know, at Zach's clip, he's still knocking down, you know, enough threes that you got to respect it when he is getting that uh, that opportunity.
1: How hilarious is it for you to watch him pump fake and get, like we know what he's going <laughs> to do and defenders are are helpless to try and stop him from, from getting him up in the air.
3: I know coaches gotta be going crazy on the opposing sidelines, ready to find these guys for going for the pump fake. But I mean it, it just tells you also just how deadly his shot is because you can't you can't not go for it. And that if he gets a clean look, he's definitely going down. Um and with the pump fake, he just get a more, you know, a more pretty, I guess, uh hard shot attempt type of type of deal. But the guy's man, the guy's knocking down twenty eight points a game. So I'm sure defenders are just, you know, they're on their heels defending him right now. So it's still hilarious that guys are going for these punk fakes, um, but you're just glad he's in a bull uniform doing it.
1: Kevin Cottrell Jr., the author of Ball Don't Lie, joining me here for a few minutes as we talk about the Bulls and the great run that DeMar DeRozan is on. When you look at the Eastern Conference, and as we sit, we're at the All-Star break, the Bulls are on top of it. Obviously, last week there was a seismic change with the deals that were made. How would you assess how the Bulls measure up with the strength of the Eastern Conference, which now
3: is is seven teams deep, the way I see it? Yeah. I'm gonna be honest. When the I'll go back to the Cavs move. When the Cavs acquired Kyrie Irving, it was the night after that he gave the Bulls forty two, right? So I remember thinking, Oh my God, now the Cavs are coming. And then now you see the Sixers and Nets get, you know, with their swap, um, their swaps. Uh, and obviously those moves are things that the Bulls and everybody else are going to be looking over their shoulder for. But let's be fair. Chicago hasn't had the opportunity to be healthy and really see guys just play full steam ahead. Uh, obviously the reporter Tristan Thompson is coming on board after the break. That'll be a great uh, great addition for that team. Um, so you got to look like you know the Bulls should be able to stay in that top four. And that's going to be imperative getting a home court advantage in that first round because it's not going to be an easy out uh, you don't know what, who's going to happen with the play-in game. The Hawks last year were in the conference championship. They're the 10th seed right now. So it's kind of one of those things where um, you got, like, what, 25 games left, uh, something to that effect. Um, so you're going to have to make up that that strong push. And I know the Bulls' first five or six games out of the break are going to be tough. Um, so those guys can get healthy. I think they can compete with anyone. Um, but ultimately, I know that guy in Philadelphia and Embiid is just—he's given the Bulls problems. And now that they've added Harden, it'll be interesting to see just how they match up down the road.
1: Which one of those teams that made the big trades—the the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers—do you think will get their new guys ramped up faster? Will which which will look more fluid before the team gets yeah. to the playoffs?
3: I think it'll be the Nets, and and mainly because going back to you know me mentioning guys needing to start in their role, this is probably a there was only two places I thought Ben Simmons could thrive. It was in Brooklyn and Golden State, just being surrounded by shooters and guys that can create their own at times. Um, now you can play him at the four or five, put him in that dunker spot at times. Kyrie can you know run pick and roll with him if he wants to lob him up. But when you get a guy like Ben Simmons coming downhill and he's flanked with Katie and. And, um, and Kyrie, now he's kind of, you know, more so in that Draymond role. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Philly works, mainly because James Harden and Embiid and, and are both ISO guys. So they'll probably take a little bit more time getting uh, acclimated. Maybe you have to stagger them. But, uh, I mean, I feel like Ben Simmons would come right in and just be a talented, skillful power forward for the Nets, and that's scary for everybody.
1: I agree with you. I, I, I feel like if he is in a good space and – and who knows what's going to happen with the mandates? Like, I, I, you, Adam Silver was already railing against the mandates a couple days <laughs> right. ago. I, I feel like the, the Kyrie Irving is going to be able to play home games pretty soon.
3: Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I mean, I, you know, you hope as a fan that, that things change fairly soon. Um, uh, there's been reports that, you know, maybe different mandates, whether it's in New York, CEC, or whatever, are going to start loosening. So if that means you get Kyrie on the floor for home games by the playoffs. You know, this team could be. They could be the ones that run away with it.
1: You brought up Tristan Thompson. I I think everything else aside, like I'm I'm not even talking about the life of Tristan Thompson. I'm talking about the basketball Absolutely. player Tristan Thompson. Right. I feel like he's exactly what the Bulls need as their their backup big.
3: Yeah, he's a guy that I. It's, it's, I've been eyeing Tristan for the Bulls for a while. Like, okay, he's in Sacramento. He can't be happening in Sacramento. And he's a clutch guy. So, knowing that Ball and Levine are clutch guys, it's got to be some type of conversations, right? I just feel like his ability to set screens, crash the offensive boards is something that the Bulls need tremendously. Oftentimes, you may see Zach or DeMar. They get blitzed because the guys that are setting screens out there, they just, they're just they not big enough. They're not wide enough to get the job done. And Obviously, there's another guy that can, you know, grab the ball off the glass, go back up above the rim, finish with lobs. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see, you know, Tristan can bring his basketball experience, you know, a guy that won a title in Cleveland and what they could do for this locker room.
1: To be honest, I wasn't thinking that they would be able to find a guy of his quality in the buyout market. And I was a little down to tell you the truth after the trade deadline. Cause I thought this is exactly what they needed. Like this type of guy, but to not give up anything other than cash, I'm good with, with them rolling into it with him as their backup guy.
3: Yeah. I'm shocked too, that, uh, that he's just getting bought out. I remember when Indiana acquired him, I was like, man, there goes Tristan. Cause I just thought, okay, you know, Indiana, they kind of in the in the fray. I know they're not at the bottom, but they're at the bottom, but I know that they had a chance to at least get in the play in. But you just never know what teams, um, I guess, are focusing on. And maybe they're just totally focused on uh, rebuilding around Miles Turner. But, um, yeah, I mean, good for the Bulls, right? You got to get a guy without giving up an asset. They are going to have to cut a player, uh, maybe Alphonso McKinney or somebody like that at the end of the bench. But uh, it'll be a welcome sight when you get a guy like that in the paint.
1: Kevin, what do you make of, of what's happened with the Lakers this season?
3: The Lakers is interesting because, I mean, everybody, it seemed like both the Lakers assuming this wouldn't work, right? Um, LeBron's a dominant uh, guy on the ball. That's what makes him great. That's what gives him draws some the comparisons to people like Magic. So to bring in a guy like Russell Westbrook, who also get those same comparisons, you know, to a Magic and an Oscar with what he's done in his career, I never really saw who was going to be the one coming off the ball and how were they going to improve. Um, and then obviously they had the unfortunate luck of a- Anthony Davis's injury. He's 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 just been you know had a just bit of a bit of bad luck all season long, including last night going down with the ankle injury. I just don't under I don't know I don't know if the Lakers winning in the bubble um, kind of hurt them. Um, I was just looking around at the other day. If you look at the more successful teams in the league right now, the Suns, the Warriors, the Bulls, you know, those guys, the Cavs, those guys didn't go deep in the bubble or they weren't in the bubble at all. I I don't know if a lot of basketball, all of those basketball games have caught up to those teams. Um, You know, we've seen uh, what it's doing to the Lakers right now with their rash of injuries and and just other teams that that had to fight uh, Utah um, Denver, those type of teams that went deep in that bubble and then came right back playing good basketball again. It's kind of catching up to them. So when you factor in, the, you know, the bad fit, uh, the game style, and then the injuries, um, it's just been one thing that's just like kind of been hard to watch almost.
1: Are you going to Cleveland?
3: I am. I, I will be in Cleveland briefly. um uh, looking forward to it, uh, you know, seeing some of the 75th anniversary festivities.
1: Well, good, man. I, I appreciate you jumping on. I, I hope that we get the opportunity to talk some basketball again because this was fun.
3: Yeah, man, anytime. Anytime. Appreciate you.
1: All right, Professor, be good. All right, now. That is Kevin Cottrell, Jr. He is the author of Ball, Don't Lie. Go buy his book. Brandon, mark him down. I already got a marked. This is what we have to do. You know, we have to get into this space where we, we try and find New voices and change things up. It's good. It's good to have those new voices. Refreshing. It is. And then you know what will happen is we'll be like, oh, I heard that guy, and then now all of a sudden he's on this show or that show, and it's fine. We'll just find new voices. This is the this is the goal. This is what we need to do. Um, the baseball owners and players met. I'll have a report about that meeting next here on the score.
2: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station.
1: So, someone texted in and said that my tone for the preview of the next segment was perfect. Well, yeah, because you know that one of my biggest frustrations has been there seems to be some sort of lack of urgency. And there are people who have speculated, smarter people than I that cover baseball every day, have speculated that the owners are totally good with l- like long playing this and not starting on time. And pitchers and catchers were supposed to report a couple of days ago, and now we're in day 79 of the, the lockout. I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure what to do with lockout coverage. I've been racking my brain. I haven't let Brandon in on the madness quite yet, but I've been sitting there going, Do we cover this every day? Do we not cover it until a deal is in place? Are we doing a disservice to the players if we aren't talking about how they're being locked out? I'm just not sure. If the listener cares until there is actual progress. And if you were looking for actual progress between the two sides today, guess what? You didn't get it. Brandon, how long did they meet today?
3: It took a total of 15 minutes.
1: Awesome. I'm sure a lot got done. Now, look. I've been in business meetings where everyone is on point. You walk in, you make some agreements on some things, you shake hands, and you walk away. Obviously, this is way more complicated than any business meeting that I'm going to be in, but come on, man. 15 minutes for something like that is barely enough time for people to sit down and get their coffee. I feel like in the MLB, MLB, PA negotiating, man, I, I feel like they should have like a great spread. There should be, you should have options, you know? Like, there should be, like, lox and bagels, and if maybe you want a donut, you should have that. Like, all of those things should be there. 15 minutes is not even enough time. Like, think about it. You've been to meetings. You've been to them, and you, like, got your little plate because they never give you the big plates at those things. It's always a little plate because you're not supposed to eat a lot. So you get your donut or your bagel and it's on there. You got your coffee and you sit down and then 15 minutes later, we're done talking like it's just done. So no, there's been no real progress between the owners and the players in day 79 of the lockout, which brings me back to yesterday's show. And I'm not kidding. Like there's a part of me that's like, I'm not going to talk about this until it's done. But then I'm like, I'm not doing my job if I... Anyway, yesterday, Cody Decker was on the show. And Deck was great. We had a really wonderful time. This was him talking about kind of
0: where things stand between ownership and players. He's a guy doing his job and doing what he thinks is right for the game. I disagree with some of the things they do, obviously. But let's be real clear here. The the, the owner's group is basically... The commissioner is basically a a union head chief for the owners now. It's no longer safeguarding the league. And that's an actual problem to me because right now it doesn't really seem like anyone's actually protecting the game of baseball itself. Not even the players and not the owners. And that's something I really think needs to be taken care of. I think that someone needs to figure out a way to safeguard this game. You know who's going to be a great guy for it? Theo Epstein. He's already there in the front office of Major League Baseball. It seems as though that's what his goal eventually is. It almost seems like he's kind of moving in a way that he wants to be Major League Baseball's next commissioner of which eventually he would be an incredible commissioner because one thing you can definitely say about Theo Epstein, he loves this game and he wants to grow this game. And that's not to say Rob Manfred doesn't want to grow this game, but what did I learn from that press conference last week? I'll take away the good things. One thing's first. National League DH. Thank God they're finally just giving up on this because they've been trying to use the National League DH as this weird bargaining chip, which is nonsensical because it doesn't benefit the owners or the players You know, one side or the other. It really just benefits everyone. So the fact that the you know major league baseball has been sitting around holding that one hostage for a couple years has just been a waste of everybody's time. And I'm really glad we can finally lose this conversation about purity of the game over a DH. So I'm really excited about that. Outside of that, saying he was gonna make an aggressive offer and then the offer that they put forward is two very different things. This is not going well, to say the least. An aggressive offer would be quite frankly an aggressive offer. What they gave was more or less the exact same offer they gave three weeks earlier and the fact that they haven't met since is mind-blowing obviously Cody is a little
1: bit upset as all of us are who are fans of baseball I gotta give some props you know I get on the the Twitch the the Twitches I get on them y'all are on point today a lot of people saying 15 minutes that's not even enough time to get savings from Geico and you're right this texter says 15 minutes The coffee is still hot. Correct. You know what? (laughs) Look, if you're on Twitch, you can see me in the studio. I stopped off at my favorite coffee shop, Robust in Woodlawn. I don't drink coffee. Me and Deck were talking about this yesterday. I drink tea. So I go to Robust off 63rd and Woodlawn, get my chamomile tea with a little bit of lemon and a little bit of honey, right? So I have it here. I couldn't drink this. Until I got to the studio. It takes me like 20 minutes to drive here. Can you imagine? Like you roll up to the meeting, the MLB and the MLBPA, you got your coffee. We've already talked about the small plate, the locks and bagels, perhaps even a donut. You can't even sip your coffee. The coffee's too damn hot. By the time the meeting's over, you're finally able to maybe take a sip of your coffee. And then what happens? The meeting's over. And nothing's been accomplished. Before I leave baseball alone for the rest of the day, how about like actual baseball stuff? Okay. We can do that. We can talk about baseball stuff. Yesterday we had Jim Deshays on the show. He was terrific. I would, I would suggest to anyone that you go back and listen to the entire interview with Jim yesterday. It was really good. We talked about him and Boog and Marquis and all that stuff. We got into a conversation where I love. Here's a little inside baseball, of me doing the radio show. I love when we bring experts on and they can talk about their craft. Inside of here, you're gonna hear Jim, who pitched for a long time in the majors, talking about shaping pitches. But it started out as a conversation about Marcus Stroman.
4: Kick and pitch. Uh, he's got really good stuff. He's got. Uh, he puts the ball on the ground. So. You know, obviously, it's important to play good defense behind him. He's, you know, a a legitimate top of the rotation type guy, and I think maybe flies a little bit beneath the radar a little bit, despite that big personality. And maybe sometimes people focus more on the personality and uh, and some of the social media stuff and things he says in the press, as opposed to what he does on the mound. You know, am I going to call him elite, one of the top starting pitchers in the game? No, but you know, he's he's a really good guy that you feel comfortable handing the ball to every fifth day. And if he ends up being the best starting pitcher on the Cubs this year, I would not be surprised. I think you know with he and Hendricks there's a really good one-two punch there. And Wade Miley's been awfully good in recent seasons as well. So as long as he's got something left in the tank, the starting pitching situation looks a lot better at the start of this year than, than it did last year.
1: I see him do a lot of uh, – he talks about on social media, like a lot of tinkering with pitches. And I like that. Like any time that I see any of the – the pitching ninja stuff, I, I get excited to learn more about the game. How much tinkering goes on with guys? And 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 were were you a tinkerer when you were pitching, where you were always trying to figure out, well, if I change the grip slightly this way or that way, I'm going to get this effect on the ball?
4: I think pitchers are always playing around with, with different grips, trying to create different movement. Uh, I think the difference in the modern game now is they have a way to really evaluate it much better than we did because of all the technology with the super slow motion cameras and, and the pitch labs. They they can, you know, okay, I'm going to move my finger this much further on the on the seam of the baseball, and I'm going to throw 10 fastballs with this grip, and then we're going to look at video and we say, look at the way that ball moves compared to what I used to do. And then you, you have immediate feedback. Probably because of that, there's more tinkering that goes on now there aren't as many absolutes you know it used to be this is how you threw your sinker this is how you threw a four seamer this is how you threw your slider and so on down the line and I think now there's more you know we, we always talk the great example is the backup slider that the guy swings through and we always say well that was a mistake pitch he didn't mean to have that slider back up on him but I think now guys are going well let's see if I can make that happen intentionally more often and and have a positive result i think there's 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 a lot uh, there's a lot more out there now for pitchers to dig in on
1: good stuff from jim
4: Deshays and him
1: explaining pitch grip and tinkering and i love that so it's it's the part of this time of year that all of us miss it's these are the types of stories like this is what a James Feegan is going to write in The Athletic like he's going to spend a whole day of spring training talking to a pitcher about pitch grips, stuff like that. So it stinks that we don't have it and I'm I'm struggling with what to do with it. Just know that until this thing comes to a conclusion that your friendly neighborhood talk show host is struggling with what to do with our coverage of it. Know that I'm I'm I am earnest in wanting to give you the best coverage of it, but also being like, man, eh, play baseball. We're gonna talk about football next. Yeah, football, rah! Jason Leisure was at the Pro Bowl and I think the Super Bowl. We'll talk to him about all of that stuff and other stuff too. It's next here on the score.